You're listening to the Creating a Brand podcast. I am your host, Alex Sanfilippo. I have a question for you. How much time do you spend on the legal side of your brand? Most people answer this question the same way. It's either not much, not at all, or what do you mean the legal side? We're not really sure what to do from a legal perspective. And I know this has been true for me, especially early on. I speak from experience when I say this, that you can cause some serious problems and get yourself into trouble if you don't focus on the legal aspect of creating your brand from the beginning. So because this is such an important topic and something that I know we needed to cover, I sought out to find somebody I could speak to about this. So I was looking for a lawyer that we could talk to. And here's the deal. It was no simple task. And I say that for one main reason. Lawyers are boring. (laughs) I'm sorry if you're a lawyer and you listen to this. Maybe you're not boring. But the majority of my look for I was like, man, I'm going to fall asleep listening to this, which means the listeners are going to fall asleep behind the wheel while they're driving to work or home from work, whatever it is that they're doing. And I don't want that. And also, I want you to continue listening to the Creating a Brand podcast. So I was being pretty selfish with this. But here's the deal. I wanted to find the right person. It took me a while, but I did find them. I'm extremely proud of it. Her name is Salma Benkabu. She is the founder and managing attorney of Benkabu Law Firm. She has trademarked herself legally as the millennial business lawyer. And her purpose is to help entrepreneurs protect their creative greatness, which she also has trademarked legally. So here's the deal. She means this. I got the opportunity to speak to her months before we did this interview together and just get to know her a little bit. And she is so passionate, so serious about helping people like you and me, creators of our own brands, that she was just excited to do this episode. So let's not wait any longer. Here's my conversation with Salma Bankabu. Salma, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad that we're finally here because I believe this was our third attempt to do an episode together. Am I right? Definitely. Yes. I'm glad we were able to finally find the time. Yeah. I think that one of the times was due to a storm. We're both in Florida and I'm pretty sure the internet was wiped out all over at least my city. I don't know about you, but all over the place. So very excited to be here finally actually doing this episode. And because we work so hard to actually get here, we've got to make sure the content is excellent for our listeners today. All right. Yeah, definitely. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So I want to just quickly give a disclaimer here. I looked for some sort of business lawyer to be on the show for a while before finding you. And I ran into a few problems. All right. (laughs) Number one being a lot of them are kind of boring. And it's hard to relate to a new startup or somebody that's excited about just kind of getting started. Even if it's all digital, it was hard for me to find someone that would relate and it wasn't going to put my audience to sleep while they're driving to work. So, you know, I spent time looking around. I was doing a lot of Google searches and things like that. And I was like, you know what, let me just look around on Instagram and see if I can find somebody that maybe has some sort of following or audience. And that's when I found the millennial business lawyer herself. So glad you're here. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, hopefully I won't disappoint. I'm sure you won't. And you know, for our audience, this is going to be something that I think that all of us need to hear. If we're creating brands for ourselves, this is a really, really important topic. And we're going to get into it. I'm going to do my best to ask questions from a place of innocence and knowing nothing. And we're going to just see what we learned today. So this is basically from Salma. This is free legal consulting and advice. So thank you for being here again. Yeah, hopefully it provides some value to the listeners. And you're absolutely correct in terms of this is very important. In fact, it's what determines a business success. So this is great that your listeners are able to have access to it. So I'm going to just jump into these questions. I've got 10 questions, but I'm going to do my best to get through as many of them as possible. I know we probably won't get to them all, so I'm just going to go for the high-level ones here first. Number one here, somebody who is just getting started, should they be focused on the legal aspect of running a business right away? Is that something that they grow into? 
at what point do you start looking at the legal side of things? You know, that's a great question. So typically my advice for people is the sweet spot and the best time to hire a business attorney is right after you're done completing your business plan and right before you start executing it. There's a lot of mistakes that I see that could have been avoided by new entrepreneurs, which I call them rookie legal mistakes. And a lot of times you're so excited about your idea, you just want to get you know everything in motion and you have people that are wanting to work with you, help you maybe invest in your business. And you find yourself in a pickle when you start actually generating some revenue, right? And at that point, it becomes a little bit of a mess that we have to clean up and it becomes super expensive. And you know, with small businesses, a lot of times they're one litigation away from bankruptcy. Right. Now, what if somebody was just starting a blog of some sort and they wanted to turn it into a business, but maybe initially it's just a side hustle or hobby? Do you still recommend developing a business plan and talking to some sort of business lawyer before launching even something like that? Or is that something that you say you could grow into? No, absolutely. At the moment that you decide that you actually want to have a side hustle, it's a business essentially. And the idea is that you want to generate some revenue for you. What you don't want to find yourself is at the time of you being able to generate some revenue, you may not own the copyright to whatever it is to the visuals of your blog, right? You might have hired Hmm. a graphic designer to make your blogs pretty because that might not be your forte. You have the great content. But essentially, you may not own those visuals. So when you want to be mentioned in other blogs that might be bigger than you to give you more exposure, you might find yourself in some legal trouble because you didn't take the time to properly protect your intellectual property. In addition to that, you want to separate yourself personally from your business dealings, right? So you want to have some legal entity to give you that corporate veil to protect you from the reach of your business creditors, right? Ideas, you know, we create these business entities to protect our personal assets, which can take a form of anything of value that has your name on it, which can include like your personal account, you know, your car, any assets that you have with your name. You don't want them to be within the reach of your business creditors in the event you find yourself as a defendant or, you know, if you're infringing on someone's IP, you want to keep everything separate. So absolutely, even if you might think that this is not something that is generating revenue for you right now, if you're serious about your business and you're serious about its growth and where it's going, then absolutely protect it. Yeah, no, that's great information. And this might be asking too much, but let's just say that you are that blogger who has a long-term vision of turning it into a service that you're going to be providing. What is their cost going to be if they're just getting started? If they're already on a shoestring budget, if they're looking at getting some legal help, in that starting up process? Are they looking at spending hundreds, thousands, more, less? So it really depends on the type of attorney that you decide to go with. That'll determine how much you need to spend. But what I typically tell people is at least invest in a consultation to understand what type of budget you need to allocate for your legal, right? Your legal matters. Mm -hmm. So right after you're done with your business plan, you know, that's the time to sit down and actually discuss what is it that my business specifically needs? Because the needs of a blogger might be different than the needs of someone who's selling a product or a service or anything else, depending on the industry, right? But, you know, depending also on who do you plan to work with, do you plan to outsource anything? That's also going to determine how many additional fees you have to pay in order to protect your intellectual property and your business. So it varies, I would say, to at least budget for around $3,000 to at least make sure that you're getting, you know, the business formation, perhaps privacy policy on your website, the terms and conditions, specifically if you're a blogger, definitely those are important. And it's not a one size fit all either. So you definitely want to make sure that it's related to your business affairs and what exactly that you're doing. Not all bloggers are the same. Not all privacy policies are going to be the same. Everyone collects information differently and they utilize it differently. 
So it really just depends on what it is that you're doing. But I would say at least allocate $3,000. That should at least get you started. And then for the remainder of things, you should be able to plan for their expenses. So if you require more services, then at least you have an understanding of how much it's going to cost. And hopefully the attorney you choose will offer you a payment plan so that you're able to you know, ensure that you're protected. Right. That's great. Something that I want to point out that you're saying is to have a business plan. And I think that's really important no matter what kind of project you're starting. Even if you're like, okay, my dreams to get this to be a product or a digital service even, do the business plan from day one. That's really going to help set your vision straight. I think for anyone who is creating a brand of any kind or a company of any kind, it's really important that you sit down take the time to develop your business plan. Doesn't take as much work as it sounds like, but it is extremely helpful for keeping you on track. So I like that you're mentioning that. And then after that is a great time to bring that in front of some sort of business attorney to just show, hey, this is what I'm planning on doing. I like that point a lot. No, absolutely. And a lot of times people get afraid of business plans because they think it's some formal document that they have to spend hours you know, on, which you can work towards that goal, right? But initially, it could literally be your ideas on, you know, on paper that you have. You can categorize it and say, okay, for my operations, this is what I'm going to do. This is what's going to set me apart. This is going to be my marketing budget. These are going to be my marketing efforts. Things of, that you can think of on your own. And there's a lot of resources out there that, you know, tons of free business advice if you're looking for it. You know, Google is a great resource. If you have no idea or no clue where to even get started, you can find some sort of template to help you. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you. Let's say, and I, this is a real scenario actually I ran into with a friend of mine. They were just complete hobbyists. They weren't bringing any revenue at all. And then they have this idea to create their own daily planner, if you will, kind of something you could just get on Amazon, but they developed a product. Let's say that you're in that boat where you went from nothing and then deciding one day I have the audience and now I'm going to go ahead and launch an actual physical product. Mm -hmm. Is that totally different than if someone's launching a blog or they need to seek the same sort of counsel, would you say? No, same type of counsel, just different type of legal services that they'll need. So for someone that has a product, you want to make sure, you know, essentially who created the content, right? Copyright ownership is a huge area in this space because, you know, if they're hiring a graphic designer to make the planner pretty, right, as I'd like to call it, mm -hmm. then essentially you want to make sure that you own the design of that particular planner along with, did you have someone edit your planner, right? You don't want it to be something where you have the idea and you were seeking advice from someone else and both of you collaborated into creating the final product and now they might have a right to your copyright of that particular planner because you failed to have a contract in place to specifically designate everyone's roles and who owns the copyright of whatever the end product is. Right. No, that's good. And hopefully someone's not making it too pretty because then you're going to cut out a bunch of audience if you just have an absolutely beautiful planner, right? Flowers and stuff all over it. What I meant by pretty is essentially the, you know, how you want it to look. Oh, okay. I was thinking like you meant the cover, the front and back of it. I'm like, man, we're really getting into this no, now. No, no. I meant like, you know, the substance of it, you know, how do you want it to present? You know, do you want the user to be able to say, oh, this is actually going to motivate me to write in it or does it like mm -hmm. every other planner? I mean, I've seen a lot of planners out there. So it's important to understand that. In fact, I had a client who sold planners and she had a graphic on top of the cover and hired a graphic designer for it. She thought she did everything correctly, except she was served with a cease and desist for the actual cover design. Oh gosh, really? Yes. And she was making a lot of money through the sales and it came out of blow. So, you know, on Instagram with us millennials, if you have a following, it's easy to generate sales, right? Because people want, you're an influencer essentially. So people want to buy whatever it is you're selling if they admire you, right? 
So she was able to generate a lot of income off of it and she had to stop. And fortunately, we were able to fix that issue as fast as we possibly could, but it could have been a lot worse for her if you know she didn't hire counsel when she did. But essentially, the graphic designer just slapped something that they found from Pinterest. So it was not something that was original or creative. Oh, wow. And it was the exact same. So it was, we really didn't have much of an argument. You know, it was an unfortunate situation and she didn't know she's relying on this graphic designer to create something original. Exactly. But right. didn't have the contract in place to hold them accountable. All right. So you don't know that that's happening. I'm not a designer. I'm really type A. You get a box if you want a logo from me. <laughs> so if I'm outsourcing that work and somebody's designing a logo for me and I don't know, but they're just ripping it from somewhere else. It's completely stolen content, whatever it is that you want to call it. Mm-hmm. I can technically get in trouble for that unless I have them sign some form of contract or what is it that I would have them do to protect myself? Correct. So you want them to sign a contract at first that they represent that they're going to create something original for you, that they're not going to go into their bank and give you something that they gave another client or work off of it. And that they also are going to indemnify you in the event that you are infringing, right? Because if you're representing to me that this is original then you should also step in front to protect me in the event that someone is saying that this is not original. So those are things that you want to have stipulated in a contract before they even know what type of logo or what type of design that you actually want from them. Hmm, Okay. Not only could you run into issues with copyright infringement, but also if they are designing a logo, you can run into issues with trademark infringement. What trademark infringement is, does that existing mark cause a likelihood of confusion with yours, right? So then at that point, you know, you might be a defendant in two types of issues, you know, copyright as well as trademarks. It just, it varies. So in a way to protect yourself from all of that, you want to make sure you have a solid contract in place before they, you decide to hire them. Yeah, actually, I want to ask you, I have two questions based off of this. First, it might be the, I'm trying to think which one's going to take less time to answer. <laughs> so I can get the simple question out first. What is your take on programs or I should say websites like Fiverr and Upwork if they're designing logos for you? Have you ever run into any issues with those? Because a lot of people go that route for their initial logo because it's a budget option. You can pay $20, $30 in for the logo, but I don't know who's necessarily checking the quality of those people's work that is sending it back to you. If that's just copied from somewhere, they stole it. I really don't know the quality. Have you had any run-in with either of those websites or anything like that? I haven't had any of my clients run into those types of issues, but what I would recommend is that you hold them to the same standard. The only issue with those kinds of platforms is that some of the graphic designers may not be in the U.S., so the likelihood of you being able to enforce that agreement become a little bit harder, right, depending on where they're operating from. Mm -hmm. But, you know, at least if you have something in place where you were infringing without actually knowing it, but you have that contract, you can essentially try to deflect that liability onto them. And then you can leave, you know, whoever is complaining of the infringement, you can leave it up to them to pursue the other graphic designer. Okay. And I'm guessing those platforms probably also have their own button up on a legal side because they're still around and they've been around for a while, which means they haven't gotten in huge trouble. So they might be protecting their users as well. Well, the only thing with that, and I don't know exactly what they do, but if I were to think from a legal perspective, they're just a platform that connects the designer to the customer. Correct. They're not actually the ones that are providing you with the designs. They're just facilitating that, giving you the space to do it. Yeah, they're providing the area for the exchange, basically. Correct. So it'll be pretty hard for you to hold them liable for you know, infringement of a trademark. Okay. That's interesting. That's something else to to consider when all audiences going out looking after logos. That's really good information. The other thing you mentioned that I wanted to comment on was trademarking. Mm -hmm. 
two questions there. What is it and should I pay attention to it? Absolutely. So trademarks essentially identify the source of origin of a particular product or service provider. From a business perspective, it is exactly how the consumer identifies your company. It could be through a logo, right? If they see a Nike check, they automatically assume or know that that's the Nike brand. If it's a scent, there's a company that sells flip-flops where they actually have a registered coconut as their trademark. Because essentially, if you go into the store, you smell coconut, you can identify that that's their flip-flop brand. Okay. That was pretty unique. It could be a color. Like you think about the Home Depot orange, the T-Mobile magenta pink, or the Tiffany blue, the most popular ones. So if you have a particular color that identifies your brand, certainly that qualifies for trademark protection. If you have a slogan, for example, if I were to say you're in good hands, more than likely you're going to say, oh, that's Allstate. Mm-hmm. You know, things that identify you in commerce. So, and then also too, for products side, not only can you protect the name, logo, color scheme, and so forth, but if you have a unique product design that identifies your products in commerce, and that can also qualify for a trade dress application. I guess an example that I can give you of that is the Maker's Mark Whiskey. Their bottle design, if you know the red wax that's on the bottle yeah. shape, they actually registered that as a trademark. Oh, wow. You can get very creative in that. One thing I will mention in terms of determining what trademarks you have, a lot of new entrepreneurs miss a lot of the trademarks that they actually do utilize by only limiting themselves to thinking just about a name and logo. For the most part, that's all that people think about. But trademarks are so much more than that. In fact, for me, when I get a trademark client, one of the first things that I do is I want to make sure that I do the deep dive and identifying all of their trademarks, pulling them out and bringing their attention to it to make sure that A, these are things that can actually qualify for the trademark protection, and B, they're not actually infringing on an existing mark. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, real quick, not bringing it back too far, but you're talking about the different colors that those brands have. Mm -hmm. What if my logo has one or more of those colors in it? Let's just say one of those colors. I match that Tiffany blue, whatever color that is. Yep. (laughs) Like if I had a logo that matched that, is that actually, if I took that exact color, like, you know, pulled it right off their website, copied that color and used it, is that actually, they have that trademarked or was it that plus the logo? Like, what is it that they're working with there? I'm glad you asked that question because it really depends on the relevant market. Oh, okay. Under trademark law, there is 45 relevant markets, which is what we call the classes that separate each market and how trade channels in which they operate. The idea behind trademarks or what the government is looking to protect is essentially the consumer from being confused into purchasing knockoff products or knockoff services. So when you think about it from that perspective, You know, if you use a Tiffany blue to identify something that Tiffany does not sell or in a trade channel that doesn't necessarily coincide with the Tiffany brand, then will it cause a likelihood of confusion? I think Tiffany's being the big brand that they are, everyone knows that that color is theirs. Mm -hmm. You might have an issue no matter what class you are using that color scheme in. So probably like a bad example, but if it's another smaller brand that let's just say they're in the automobile industry and they're that class. If you're using it for chocolate, let's say, for example, more than likely the consumer is not going to be confused, right? I hope not. (laughs) I I hope hope not, not, right? So you will likely be able to coexist so long as you don't step into their trade channel. Okay, that makes sense. That's really good information. Very helpful. Now, you mentioned going after as many trademark opportunities as you can when you're working with a new brand or new client. What is the benefit of going after so many different things? Is it mostly just to check to make sure you're not actually infringing on anyone else's already what they have trademarked? Or is it just to kind of lock your business in? Like, what is the point of that? 
You mean in terms of identifying all of your trademarks? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the point of that is to ensure that you are protecting your intellectual property. That's how you maintain your competitive edge, right? So in the event mm -hmm. someone is trying to bite off your brand because they see that you have enough hype behind you and they see that your brand is actually getting a lot of recognition, you know, you want to stop them from being able to do that. And in addition to that, you want to make sure you don't find yourself as a defendant. So if you're infringing on an existing brand and they, let's say, for example, decide to sue you, you're forced to defend yourself. You don't have the option or the business option to go after them to say, okay, do I really think this is worth the money to pursue or not? So as a defendant, you have to actually cough up the money. Otherwise, you lose by default if you don't answer. You're protecting yourself in both ways. And you don't want to coexist with someone that could possibly not have the same goodwill. The government is protecting the consumer. You as the business owner, you're protecting your goodwill, which is you know, essentially what is the reason why the consumer goes with your product or your services. And that can consist of a lot of things. It could be the company culture. It could be... If you have a product, your shipping procedures, maybe you're, you ship fast and you're, the quality of your product is really high. So you want to be able to protect that with your trademark. Let's say that I'm listening, but I don't take any action. And then a competitor pops in and kind of mimics a lot of what I'm doing, but they go get it trademarked. Even though I was around first, can I get in trouble for what I had before they do, but now they actually have a trademark on it? So that's a great question. So under trademark law, it's first in use is first in right. However, if you're able to get a trademark registered, that gives the presumption that you're the rightful owner. So then it shifts the burden to the person who claims they use it first to prove that they, in fact, used it first. Oh, wow. Okay. So I would say while the law is on your side, I would not necessarily rely on that to fall back on. Because the other thing that could happen is you can dilute your brand if you coexist for an extended period of time. So at that point, when you show up to court and you say, hey, I'm trying to protect my brand now that it's profitable, but we've been coexisting for, let's just say, a year or more, at that point, the other side can argue easily that, hey, look, we've been coexisting for a year or more and no one has been confused. Therefore, their brand is not as strong as they think it is. If you're creating a brand, whether it's a personal brand through a blog or influencing on social media, or a professional brand with a product or service that you're offering, the Creating a Brand community is for you. We are your digital mastermind or tribe. Our community is built on our own custom social media platform where we share our experiences, recommendations, and solve real problems together. In addition, all members have exclusive access to our many online courses. Ultimately, we are a powerful community of entrepreneurs that are helping each other succeed. You will always go further in life and in business when you're part of a healthy community. I'm so passionate about this that I'm going to ask you to do something for me right now. Visit creatingabrand.com and join our community today. You can start for free and it will take you less than three minutes to set up. Once you join, message me directly. I'd love to have a conversation with you and welcome you to our community. So I kind of want to shift gears here a little bit, uh -huh. but if someone started a business and it's starting to get some traction, now they're at the point where they need to either hire staff or subcontractors, either way, they're growing to the point where it's going to be more than just them. Is that another time that they need to get in there and seek some legal counsel again? Or is that something that you're going to set up from the beginning? How would that look? Well, depending on when you decided to hire your attorney, but and depending on how extensive and how really well-planned your business plan is will determine at what point. So for example, I have okay. clients that will say, in a year, I plan to hire an employee or I plan to outsource to an independent contractor. 
So, you know, in Florida, what determines whether or not you're considered an employee or an independent contractor are actually 13 factors, which really just means that there's a lot of room for us, for attorneys to argue. Okay. But even with an employee, some of the things you want to keep in mind is you want to have policies and procedures to ensure that you're not liable for any employer liabilities, right? In addition to that, you want to see how many employees are you hiring to determine whether or not you need to have workers' comp insurance or not. Also, if you have certain processes and systems in place that are unique to your business that are very proprietary, then you also want to make sure you have an agreement in place that protects those things with the non-disclosure clause as well as non-compete. Sometimes we even draft them separately just to ensure that, you know, that particular employee doesn't just steal, you know, how you make your business run and how you make it profitable and then set up shop across the street from you. Or even if it's out of state now with the internet, they can become a competitor. Yeah, I actually have a background in aerospace. I'm actually still in the aerospace industry. I'm an executive at the company I'm at. And I can't give too many details on this, but at one point we did run into an issue many years ago and we didn't have a non-compete and ended up creating a major competitor for us still to this day because someone got angry, left and started doing the same thing. But legally, we couldn't even go after them because we didn't have any, we had nothing to stop them from doing that. Nothing. They never signed anything saying that they couldn't do that. So I know from experience that a non-compete alone is worth its weight in gold because it will come back to bite you at some point if you don't take action on that. Absolutely. Definitely. And also the intellectual property that that employee might create you know, for you while they're working for your company. So you want to also make sure that you reserve the ownership right over to you. And although typically, you know, if that employee is acting within the scope of their employment, whatever IP they create for you, typically the company will own it. Because of the 13 factors that we have, you don't want them to have the opportunity to maybe argue that, in fact, they were not an employee, they were an independent contractor. Right. Great way to get out of all of that mess is to essentially have solid contracts in place before, you know, to avoid any of these, you know, what I call the messes. Yeah. So really what you're saying is if you're planning on hiring employees, or even if you're considering subcontractor, not sure which way you're going to go yet, get started, get this documentation straight from the start. Don't go back having people trying to, don't backtrack on this basically. Right. And you also want to keep in mind the tax perspective or the tax liability. What I see people do is because, you know, hiring an employee that you actually have to pay employment tax on their income, right? So, you know, a lot of times people will avoid it. Well, they'll say, this person is still my employee, but I'm just going to pay you as if you're an independent contractor. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, you might be subject to tax uh, fines for not paying the employment tax. Yeah. The whole tax side of things is a whole other topic that I hope to cover on a later episode. So I'm not going to get too much into that, but that's, that is really important to identify the difference and, and understand that. And obviously, as a business lawyer, you're able to actually help people understand, like you said, there was 13 different things. Is that what you said? Right. So I help people understand what is an employee and how to properly classify them, mm -hmm. how to stay within the lines so that you don't blur them. Right. Okay. So I give guidance on how you need to treat this particular person. You know, if they're classified as an independent contractor, these are your limitations. So I will typically ask my clients, you know, what is it? How much do you want to control? Like, what is it that you want from this person? And how do you want them to do whatever it is they're, they're going to do? And that'll help me understand whether they're more leaning towards the independent contractor side or if they're leaning more towards the employee side. That's great. So now I've got another question here that is one that everyone with creating a brand wants to ask because there's a lot of entrepreneurs here. Can I do this myself? Can I write my own legal documents? So the best way that I can explain it to people in a way that they can receive it, honestly, is I say is this, when I think of my business, I think of it as my baby. 
And, you mm-hmm. know, born, you have to get certain vaccines so that you don't get certain diseases, right? And the chances of you getting those diseases, no one really knows, right? But it, there's a possibility that it could happen. So when you do your own legal work, it's essentially you figuring out, okay, what kind of vaccines does this baby need? And you actually giving the type of vaccines and knowing exactly how much to give. And you probably don't have the background to be able to do that, let alone the license to be able to do that, right? So do you really want to take a chance of your baby dying? Or do you want to ensure that your baby's actually going to survive and thrive and have the best chance at, you know, growth with going and seeking medical assistance with those vaccines? As an entrepreneur, like you put your blood, sweat and tears into your business. Oh, yeah. So for me, it's that serious. <laughs> so It is, yeah. You know, so that's how I think of it. And I personally don't like to take any risks. And sometimes, you know, you want to also weigh those risks with the business decisions that you make. But if there's ways in which you have the business leverage, then take advantage of that because that's where you know you have the legal leverage. And so in ensuring that you can properly protect yourself. I love it. Everyone protect your baby. Yeah. Listen to Salma. She knows what she's talking about. (laughs) (laughs) So what about now? Let's just kind of continue on with this question. What about these like budget online automatic like drafting document programs? I don't even know what to call them. But these programs that you can kind of plug and play, you say, this is my business, this is how much I plan on making, I plan on hiring this many employees, and it spits out a legal document for you. What are your thoughts on those? So I highly caution against those. And honestly, people... Me too, by the way. Some of my colleagues will, you know, get upset and say, you know, these people are driving us out of business, but I don't think so. In fact, they're keeping us in business. The reason being is because they're so bad. (laughs) Right. And people are, you know, relying on these platforms and thinking that that you know, platform understands their particular business, the transaction at stake, who has the business leverage, which a lot of times for me, that's what I look for because that makes me understand who has the legal leverage, right? To be able to like really take advantage of that for my clients. So that platform doesn't have the capability of doing that because that actually requires, you know, what I call like some creativity from a legal perspective. So you're shooting yourself in the foot. You're doing it that way. Yeah. And that's really the worst thing you can do as a business owner is not really have the knowledge to understand how these things even affect your business. Yeah. I'm actually going to give you a story about that. I'm not going to use the name of the company we went with, but a friend and I, a while ago, we went into a partnership to do some real estate investing and we did it with a real minimum budget. And when we looked at the legal side, he was like, hey, let's just see if we can find a web. He's a, he's a tax guy. And mm-hmm. he's like, let's just see if we can find a, like a website to, to draft documents. I'm like, I don't think that exists. And he found one of them. He's like, dude, this is great. So we started plugging everything in. We kind of like tweaked it everywhere we could. We spent some time on it. We're like, this looks fantastic. We don't even know what half of it means. That's how you know it's good. So by the way, anyone who's not a lawyer, when you can't understand it, you assume it's great. So anyway, I happen to have a family member that is a real estate attorney. That's what he does. Couldn't afford to work with him. But I was like, hey, Uncle Terry, would you mind just reviewing this for me? And he said, oh, absolutely. He's like, send it over. I sent it over to him. He called me three hours later and he goes, what is this? Who drafted this for you? And he was angry. Mm -hmm. And he goes, this is terrible. He's like, and he had a hundred different things. I'm like, I got it offline. And he's like, you can't do that. (laughs) He's like, don't ever work with those. So I had a really bad experience with that. And obviously we got it corrected through him and started over basically. But I do think that's really important because a lot of us, again, if we're working off of a small budget, we see that and that's very, you're like, ooh, $49.99, I could have all my documentation done. That sounds great. Really, it's not doing anything for you. Right. And honestly, what I think is that they're targeting people that don't take their business seriously. So the likelihood of there an issue coming up are typically like low because for the most part, people who really take their business serious, they're not going to pay $50 for a contract. They understand that that's supposed to be this cheap, right? 
I feel like it's very unethical. And a lot of times my clients will say, do you have any templates? No, I don't. In fact, like there's clients where I draft, like, let's say an NDA, but three different ways based on who they're dealing with. Right. So I can't just use Mm -hmm. one template. Sometimes they're very industry specific. And also sometimes in some transactions, you don't have any business leverage. So therefore you don't have any legal leverage. In other areas, you have all the business leverage. So that means we can have all the legal leverage. For example, for people who are downloading forms online, let's say you're getting a commercial lease. Some leases are landlord friendly. Some leases are tenant friendly. So if Mm -hmm. you don't know the difference, but you think it sounds great because it sounds like it's in the middle, it's probably not. Those are the things that I would say shy away from. Yeah, that's great. Now, I want to give a disclaimer here to everyone. And I've kind of already talked about this a little bit, or maybe it's the assumption. We all assume that this stuff is never going to happen to us. It doesn't happen to everybody, but we all assume that. But it does happen to people, right? Like this is real life. Like you're dealing with this every day. It's your full-time gig is what you're working on. It's helping people that are getting into trouble and things. Should people in general really be concerned about running into any form of legal issue with their business? Absolutely. I mean, for the most part, if it's not dealing with a contract or if it's not dealing with IP, you might be dealing with personal liability. You just never know. And to be honest with you, the more successful you become, the higher the chances of there being litigation. Because when you're not making much money, you might be, you know, judgment proof because even if the other side wins, more than likely they can't collect, True. right? But as mm-hmm. you become successful, and a lot of times that success, you know, it's not necessarily like gradual. For some people, it spikes, you know, sometimes out of left field, right? And you don't want to find yourself once that happens, spending the majority of your profits on legal fees, fixing things that you could have paid a fraction of that price to avoid in the beginning. Yeah. And, you know, again, I don't want to say any of this to scare anybody, but the truth is, this is something in business that a lot of people don't take seriously. But if you're serious about building your brand, you're serious about what you're creating, then you need to really take this side of things just as serious as any other portion of your company. Right. I always tell people, if you don't take your business seriously, neither will a court of law. Oh, that's good. I like that. Mm-hmm. Trademarked? Do you have that trademark by chance? No. <laughs> <laughs> you better get on it. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> That's good. So before we close out here, is there anything that I miss or any recommendations that you have for someone who's really just getting started or really just starting to grow their business? What have we missed or not covered that you would say is a really important element? Absolutely. So one of the main things I want to mention is choosing the right expert for legal services. A lot of times what I have seen is that people will start with a CPA because they only think about you know tax liability. And typically they'll say, I'm going to go to my CPA to form my business or to register my business. That is the biggest mistake that you can make. A, it's unauthorized practice of law. And B, they don't have the capacity to advise you from a legal perspective. They can tell you if you choose this business entity, this is how you're going to be taxed. But they can't actually tell you which business entity is right for you and your structure or your business affairs. Fascinating. Okay. Be very mindful of that. In addition to that, understand what they are talking about in terms of the tax liability. Oftentimes, the legal liability far outweighs the tax liability, but it only kind of resonates with people when they're actually facing the litigation. Because what might make sense to save you some tax may not make sense to, you know, in the grand scheme of things, of the risk of the legal liability. So you want to get both expert advice and you want to understand the differences and where they apply so that you can actually make an informed decision about how to even structure your business. And if you're dealing with people, sometimes I know that in the state of Florida, you could create a general partnership implicitly. So you don't necessarily have to have anything formal that says you're my business partner, but essentially 
you leave yourself vulnerable. So if at the moment you become profitable, this other person that whom you thought about as, you know, maybe an employee this whole time could have a right into your business. You know, be very mindful of that and, you know, in choosing the right expert to get the right advice based on your specific business structure. Also, don't rely on what your cousin twice removed is doing just because it's <laughs> right. Know, I have so many people who say, well, my cousin is doing this. <laughs> right. Well, maybe the law just hasn't caught up to them yet, but, and I don't know what they're doing. Right. So, you know, you can't just rely on people that may seem successful. Right. Yeah. That's great advice. Thank you so much. So you're, th- you're basically, you're saying that everyone should have a lawyer and a CPA in their corner, right? Absolutely. And this order is to go to the business lawyer first, then you go to the CPA. That's great. So well, thank you so much for being on the show today. This is such valuable information. That I know that we're all just going to absorb. I'm going to have to listen to this like three or four times to really capture all of it. But this was so valuable. Thank you for being on the show today. Oh my God, it's my pleasure. I hope it brought value. And you know, I love to do this because I know a lot of us need that mentorship and that help. So I'm happy to, to be here. Great. Well, thank you again. Of course, my pleasure. Before ending this episode, legally, I have to give a quick disclaimer. My conversation with Salma was simply legal advice. Before taking action, you need to seek counsel from your own business lawyer. I don't know about you, but I learned a lot from this episode. Throughout my interview with Salma, I did my best to ask the questions I believe that many of you would want to have answered, but also the Creating a Brand community members specifically asked me to get certain questions answered. So we made that happen. We covered a lot of ground. And actually, Salma had a bit more to share after we finished the interview, which we ended up recording and we're sharing exclusively with the Creating a Brand community. And in addition, within the community this week, we're going to be focused on the legal side of our brand. So all of our conversations are going to be about how to up our legal game and kind of going over our show notes together and just doing our best to implement things and protect our brands even further in the future. So I'm really excited about that. Salma did one more thing to sweeten the deal, which I'm really appreciative of. She is offering a very exclusive discount just for the community if you want to work with her directly. And I can't really get into the details of it here, but if you're a community member, be looking out for that. I'll share the details within the Creating a Brand community. Salma, thank you so much for being a guest and just sharing with us. And clearly, you're so passionate about this, and we really appreciate that. If you would like show notes from today's episode, visit creatingabrandpodcast.com. We'll have all the links to everything Salma's involved in, also her social media links, because you got to check it out. She is crushing the social media game as well. I'll be back with you all next week. As always, thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.